Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor. And this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted today to be joined by David Rumford. Hello. Hi, David. How are you doing? Very well, Peter. Very well. And yourself? Very good. Very good. Now, you've probably been part of the progressive community even longer than I have, I'm guessing. I'm pretty sure you were here when I first came here. When, when did you first come across progressive and become involved with all that's going oh, on? Oh, I think it must have been about probably five years ago now, hmm. um, when progressive were... We're starting out across the other side of town, just a, in the estate agent's row. And um, yeah, we got to know them then. I just moved to Peterborough myself at that point. Um, I was in the corporate world at the time, relocated across to Peterborough with, with, with a day job. And uh, yeah, come across pr- progressive from there, really. Right, because I was going to say, you haven't always been in property, have you? What were you doing before you were a property person? No, so I spent about 15 years in the corporate world working in logistics, and it's one of those companies that one company ended up buying out another company, which meant you had to relocate every few years. So I probably ended up relocating about five times across the UK in 15 years. So there wasn't a great deal of stability. And um, eventually I decided to get off that corporate gravy train and uh, make, make a life for myself in property. Right. Because you started in property in, what, 2010? Yes. Yes. Uh, how, how did that happen? So basically, becoming a little bit disillusioned with the corporate world at the time, and myself and one of my colleagues at work, we decided to do something a bit different. We'd been reading a few property journals and a few books, and decided we'd go and buy our first buy-to-let in Peterborough. And uh, yeah, we just jumped in with the first one, did all the work ourselves, did it on weekends and evenings whilst doing the day job at the same time. Fantastic. So you were doing a JV. At that time, you probably didn't even know it was called a JV. Absolutely. Yes. And were they based in Peterborough as well? Yes. So uh, my colleague from the day job, we're both based in Peterborough. And um, we both decided we wanted something a bit different and not just be stuck in the corporate rat race for for the rest of our lives. And did you have any idea at that time that that was going to release you from the the rat race, as you put it, that you'd be free in property, full-time in property? I guess it was also similar time I was reading the Rich Dad Poor Dad book mm. and um, listening to that and some of the concepts in that book as well. It just made me feel there must be a better way of doing things. So whilst we were starting, we didn't know where the journey would take us. But at that stage, it was let's do something. Let, let's start this journey. So you started in single let by to lets. We did, yes. Yeah, and started building a portfolio. Yep. So um, we managed to do the buy, uh, renovate, and remortgage a model a few times. So we were just um, obviously in a very down market at the time in 2010, so we were able to get a few BMVs through as well. And um, we've got a small collection, maybe five or six single lets, even added to a couple of HMOs after that. And um, the ball just started rolling from there, really. I was going to say, because... I haven't actually sort of said what you do at the moment. We'll let the listeners find out. Sure. Obviously, some of the listeners are going to know you anyway because you're now a VIP mentor and they'll know you through the VIP. And you've been, as I say, a long-standing member of the progressive community. But life was going to take a different twist and turn, wasn't it? Because you were going to move on from that. And in quite a big way. We did. We did. Um, The real opportunity for us came 
must have been about 2013, I think it was. Um, obviously, the recession was in full flow by then, and there was redundancies left, right and centre in the corporate world. And we decided, do we want to just wait and end up potentially having to take redundancy? Or do we take the ball by the horns and do something ourselves? And what actually happened, this coincided with a friend of ours who was a local builder, and he'd spotted a, a large heritage commercial project. It was a grade two listed building over three floors. And it was based not too far from Peterborough, uh, just down the road from here. And he said he knew how technically he could convert it and make some lovely high-end apartments. But he had no idea how to go through the, the buy-in structure, the process. And he said, um, myself and my colleague from the day job, we'd bought a number of smaller buy-to-lets in Peterborough. So we must know that side of things. So he saw it as a way that he could get onto the property ladder through our experience. And for us, it was a way to go to a much bigger playing field, but actually protect ourselves from the maybe some of the rigors of actually the, the conversion side and those bigger projects without having to learn all those skills ourselves. I mean, that, that is an amazing story, really, because if you think about the implications of that, I mean, there's a builder who knows how to do all the development side coming to you. You know how to do buy-to-lets, but there's a synergy there there's a way of working together which he obviously recognized very enlightened of your builder absolutely wanted to come to you with that but when he first came to you were you thinking yeah fantastic or were you thinking i don't know if we can do this well it's quite daunting i imagine it was a little bit daunting we knew we wanted to definitely step up and take the next level in property we weren't quite sure how so it, it kind of landed just at the right time for us um but also from the by the same token we knew the builder as a friend but we didn't know his his work and we thought we're going to a very big project. Um, it's a big risk. So how, how do we de-risk this a little bit? So we kind of made a little bit, bit of a cheeky offer to the builder. We said we were just going through a refurb at the time in Peterborough. And uh, we, we said to him, how about you come and do a small refurb for us? Now, in, in our minds, we were thinking, let's see how he does this. It's a bit of a test. And at the end of it, he took the job on. At the end of it, he did a really good refurb on the smaller property. And one thing that I always feel is how somebody does a smaller project, the mindset, the, the commitment to that is probably how they'll follow through on a larger project. Uh, so it's just like scaling up. So he was very punctual. He very diligent over the work, even though it was a far smaller project than he'd have liked to have done. And he did really well with that project. So we thought, okay, let's go ahead with this. Let's go into this larger project. And it all rolled from there, really. Mm. Well, that sounds like a really smart way of doing it. I mean, he, he obviously didn't mind being put to the test. Perhaps he didn't even realise that you were testing him. Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe not. not. You may yeah. listen to this now and come back and say, hey, and that's what you're up to. But, I mean, since then, of course, you've, you've become sort of, uh, you, you, well, you're still together. I'm going to say lifelong partners, but we don't necessarily know that. But you know what I mean? You, you, you're still sure. together as a team, aren't you? Yeah, so we're still together. Worked. Yeah. So the three of us have worked together since that point. Um, going into that first large commercial conversion project coincided with me quitting the day job as my other colleague at the time did as well, who was in the same company. So we went full-time in property at that point. And, um, yeah, we, we've gone on from there, the three of us together for the last four years or so, and doing a number of different commercial conversion projects, particularly niching on the heritage side. And a few other things have also come out, come out from there as well. Right. I mean, that is a very brave move, both of you, to quit your jobs on the basis of the first project. You must have been very confident that project was going to pay out for you and that it was all going to work out for you to be able to quit your jobs like that. I think as we started getting into that project, we could see it was going to do quite well. 
Um, a few few reasons for that, but we probably didn't realise quite how well until the end when we got the the valuations from the end of the project. So it took about nine months renovation. And if I just run through maybe some of the numbers on that. Well, absolutely, because I'd love to hear about this project because, of course, the conventional wisdom is, and for good reason, that it's you know probably good to sort of cut your teeth on something, you know, under, I don't know, permitted development, prior approval, keep it nice and simple. Mm-hmm. But you went straight in the deep end with a grade two listed building. We did, we did. A uh, few reasons for that. Um, so our joint venture partner, the builder, um, was very keen to work on listed buildings. He'd done probably 15 years experience working for clients, a lot of them on heritage buildings. So he already did have some experience on that, so he was very keen to push for that anyway. And the other thing we saw at the time was, obviously, when we bought that building, the market was very flat, just coming out of a recession, and the building must have been for sale probably for a good two years before we bought it. Mm. And it was slap bang on the high street as well. Mm. But what we actually managed to do, we managed to use the, the prior approval scheme that had come through, but actually use it in a different way. Because obviously a listed building can't go through prior approval, mm. but what it was actually creating at the time, anybody who was looking for those sort of commercial buildings were all jumping on the prior approval bandwagon, mm. and these heritage listed buildings were just getting left behind. Mm. Now, that gave us a great position to go in there and negotiate. So we were buying from receivers as well. They were really getting fed up. It even stopped bothering showing people around the building because they just weren't getting any bites on it. So we went in there, fairly low ball offer, managed to pick up the building, and we picked up the building um, for a great price, subject to planning, subject to listed building consent, and even subject to finance. Hmm. And we just put... Uh, a very small amount down as a deposit and um, carried out the conversion from there, really. Right. So let's have some headline figures, sure, if that's okay. Sure. So uh, how much did you pay for it? What, what happened okay, to it? So, what did you sell it for? So basically the building, around about quarter of a million purchase price, uh, give and take a bit, roughly same again for the conversion project. So we were about half a million in to actually buy the project, professional fees and, and everything. The project then took nine months, and at the end of the nine months, we refinanced. We went for a long-term commercial finance on it, and we thought, even though the market had recovered a little bit by that time, we thought we should get a reval somewhere in the region of 750. We were hoping to make about 250k on it, and we'd have been happy with that. Um, Valuation got done, um, results came in, and it was literally a fall off your chair moment, because um, the valuation came in at £1 million. Wow. Exactly. Yes. So you pretty much doubled your money. Exactly, exactly. So it was a 100% return on investment. And uh, it was the project that really set us on our way. And you didn't sell it? You kept it? You refinanced it? We kept it? it. We refinanced it. We put it on a commercial loan at 60% loan to value, which, of course, if you think that the 500k in there, we were able to refinance completely, hmm. pull the money out, um, return the original loans and also actually have some cash to ourselves and hold the building with none of that original money left in. And have you still got it? We've still got the building to this day. Yeah. And it's five lovely flats with a small commercial element sort of facing High Street at the front. Yeah. That's fascinating because one of the things which I say when I'm training on Masterclass is that the BRR model actually works all the way up the progressive pyramid of strategies. It does. It does. And this is a classic example of doing the BRR model on a commercial property. Where you've bought it, you've renovated it, you've refinanced it, you've got all your money back out, and then you've moved on and done it again. 
Absolutely. And I say yeah. your money, yeah. did, was it actually your money or did you well, have that, other sources that of That was the great thing about it. Um, obviously, we hear from so many people that you don't need to use your own money on these kind of projects, and it's so very true. Um, for that project, we pretty much didn't put any of our own money into it. Um, we used um, friends, family um, support, and also then used a bank product, which allowed us to purchase purchase it for 70% bank funding and 100% development funding. And the original 30% that we had to put down, i say, was, was friends and family who, who took a, a leap of faith in us at that stage when we stepped up to that level. Mm. Well, you obviously repaid them in, in massively from that, I guess. We, we did. Plen- plenty in it for everybody. And of course, not surprisingly, having done it once and having had a result like that, you've, you've carried on doing it. Absolutely. And I say it was that project that then allowed us to, to move forward, not have to worry about those day jobs. Um, I'd say I'm probably doing more hours now than I was doing in, in, in the corporate world. But, it, but it's great because now you're choosing the hours that you want to do and it's actually benefiting directly from what you put in. So, yes, we've taken on quite a few projects since then. Um, it's also coincided the last couple of years I've relocated personally down to the Bath area from mm. Cambridgeshire. Um, but my business partners are still up in Cambridgeshire here. So we work now pretty much between the two hubs, down in Bath and in and around Cambridge, Cambridgeshire. And are you doing properties in both areas? We are, yep. And it just works out almost by default. Both areas are great for heritage buildings, listed buildings. And um, that's still very much our niche. Well, I was going to say that in Bath, probably they're all listed, aren't they? They pretty much are. Yeah, it's very hard to find a building, particularly around the city centre, that that isn't listed. Yeah. So what what sort of projects are you doing now then? So we've done, um, if we we look at down in Bath, we've done a tall sort of four-storey apartment block. That was basically old offices. Um, We managed to pick that up off market. And it's so true what people say about networking because I was doing a lot of breakfast networking at the time down in Bath. And I just bumped into a, a lady who said her father had an old building that he'd like to sell. He was going to go and place it with a commercial agent. And she said, well, I'd like to have a quick look at it first. Um, I thought the chance of it actually working for us may not be great, but why not? Let's go and have a look at it. It turned out to be slap bang in the city centre. You couldn't have asked for a better location. Uh, grade two listed building, obviously, again. And we took that as an old office block over four floors, converted it to four apartments, even managed to use the basement down there as well, because that's some natural light into that. So made a lovely two-story duplex at the bottom. And we, again, we retained those four apartments when they were finished, refinanced, long-term loan, and, um, and moved on from there. Mm. So when you retain uh, a property like that, what do you use it for? Is it buy-to-lets or do you, are you into serviced accommodation? What, what, what do you do with them? It's very interesting, actually. Um, when we were down in Bath, our initial plan was we'll do those ones down there and we'll probably flip them on mm-hmm. and bring some cash in to do other projects. What actually happened about halfway through that project and, and myself living in that area, I was seeing more and more how, how many people were doing serviced accommodation down there and, and holiday lets. So we decided midpoint in the project to actually adjust our exit and rather than going for a sale, see if we could retain. So use the profit from the the deal, um, leave that in as deposit for a long-term loan and retain the apartments and launch our SA side of our business. So that's where the SA side started, um, four apartments in one block. And for the first year, um, taking a cautious approach, we just gave them to a local agent to run. 
but being entrepreneurial types, I guess, you know, a, a year into that, we were sort of literally sitting on our hands thinking we could improve this business, the, the SA side of things. So last year we took those in-house. We launched our own uh, SA website, um, particularly for, for our own units. And now we have an SA business as well as a development business. Fantastic. It makes perfect sense. For anybody who's listening who's wondering what SA is, what, what's that, what is SA? Of course, of course. So, so uh, serviced accommodation. Um, so serviced accommodation slash holiday lets. Yeah, so it's short-term lettings as opposed to getting it, it is, a yeah. longer-term tenant in. Absolutely. And Bath, presumably perfect for that. Lots of visitors going to Bath. Bath's for great for that. Um, the weekends, particularly strong points down there. People go for short mini breaks. Um, you, you get some midweek business travellers, but predominantly it is the holiday makers and the mid, the mid midsummer breaks and the weekend breaks where where you set your stall out to make to make your your profit really. So when you started back in two thousand and ten, buying your first buy to let, you never realised that you were going to become an expert on commercial conversion. No, and not at all. And I think that's the thing: you, you start a journey, you don't know where it's going to take you. Um, and I think one of the key things for me is you have to find out what you, what you enjoy doing. When I, when I started in property, I looked at probably every strategy going. Um, I looked at many different things, and it it took maybe a first year or two to really work out what I want to do, where I want to invest my time, and that's the thing is it's where, where we are in, in the in the economic cycle, where you are in the country, and what you love to do. And I think those three things together really help crystallise what each of us should probably be doing for ourselves in in, in the property. Mm. But the interesting thing is that you're not just an expert in commercial conversions, though, but because of the way you've gone, you've also become an expert. And you say heritage buildings, planning, grade two listing, all this kind of stuff has yeah, yeah. become your, your thing. It's, yes, a little bit by default. You, you don't realise where, 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 where these journeys are going to take you. And you, you, you go somewhere, you start building on that. And before you know it, you, you've made a lot of progress but maybe not where you thought you'd be when you started off. But I'm, I'm very happy with, with the journey and where it's taken us. And to the extent of now we're getting contacted by other people that have got heritage projects. Uh, just last week, I was contacted by somebody who had a project with a local council. The local council wanted him to bring in some people around him with more heritage experience to move the project forward. And for, through social media, he contacted myself and we're now working with him and his local council to try and save a heritage building falling into any further disrepair. Fantastic. Well, that, that's you know, when, when they come to you like that, that must be such a, a great feeling. The deals are coming to you. It, it is. And I think, um, initially think, it, is, it, is it luck? But I think it's more, you have to continuously put yourself out there. You have to be visible. You have to do a lot of networking. And sometimes when you feel that, you go through those bumps in the road where you're, you're network and you can't always see the results, but you don't always realize how many people are actually taking note of what you're doing, watching your progress. And suddenly you can get a phone call six months, a year down the line. And somebody say, oh, I met you at a previous event. Uh, are you interested in this or that? And sometimes we don't see those um, results immediately. So it, it really is just keep going and, and, and keep progressing. And, and, you'd be surprised how many people are actually watching what you are doing. Mm. Now, our good friend Rob Moore, co-founder of Progressive, he always says that uh, every upside has a downside and every downside has an upside. And I suppose the downside of this type of deal is it can take a long time 
to see the deal through, can't it? I know you've been trying to get planning on a property for about a year or so now. Absolutely, yes. Um, with heritage buildings, so you need, or listed buildings, you're always going to be going through planning. So sometimes, depending on the local council, that can be horrendous timescales. They may well quote you eight weeks, but one local council we were dealing with, eight weeks actually meant six months. Mm. And then if there's any further reserve matters you're going for in applications, that can, e that can even double. Mm. So you, the way that we would approach that, we would say try and pipeline as many deals as you can. If we're just waiting on one deal, you can lose a lot of time. But if you have three, four, five deals in the pipeline and, and you construct them the best, best as you can to, to when they're going to land, then you don't so mind so much about the waiting in between because you know that you've got a few other ones following on after that. So, so they are structured when you think they're going to, to land through planning. Mm. Pipeline, absolutely key, as you say. So there's always something there coming through. Yeah. As opposed to just chasing individual deals and hoping yes, it all works Yes, out. because you can go for one deal, sit back, put, put all your, your eggs in that basket and, and just wait for that one to land. And for any reason, you may not get the plan in. The vendor may pull out. Uh, you don't want to be left six months down the line having lost all that time and not have a deal at the end of it. So even when you think you've got a great deal, keep going, keep trying to land the next deal. Always be looking, always be in the market. Mm, great, great bit of advice. And of course... Your journey hasn't finished, has it? I mean, you're, you're really only into prop well, you've been doing it now since 2010, so I guess we're looking at nine years in. But even now things are changing, aren't they? Because you're doing new builds? They are, they are. And this is, again, something that we couldn't have predicted just a few years ago. Um, what actually happened, it was a local project in Cambridgeshire where one of, we were funding it 100% through joint venture partners. And it was one of those joint venture partners who quietly sat and watched how we progressed with the project um, and it was, wasn't until right at the end of the project where he said to us I really like the way you guys have approached this you've kept me updated you've done a great finish to the project and you haven't tried to hide anything on the project when there's been an issue you've been up front you've told me what the issue is and he said I really like that approach and he said now I'd like to just tell you about a piece of land I own now it turned out he literally within 20 minutes of where we were doing this first project with him he owned a piece of land. He wanted to get some planning permission to go and put a block of flats on there, but he didn't really want to do it himself. So he said, if I supply that piece of land, I know you don't usually do new build and your heritage. Would you consider going new build? Would you work with me? If I supply the land, could you manage it? Could you bring the development finance? We'll do a 50-50 profit share on the back end. So it was really too good to turn down. To, to be able to do a project, not have to put any of your own cash into it again, and work with a JV partner that we'd really enjoyed working with on that previous project. Um, we said, let's go for it. So to cut a long story short, that one did take a long time again to get through the local planning area there. Um, but we sat, hold, held the land throughout, um, did the project. We've just literally about to put spade in the ground, so to speak, now. And we've got the full planning finally through for a block of eight new builds, apartments. Fantastic. So is that going to be the sort of the new thing? Are you going to do more of that or is it a one-off? I think we'd be open to it. I think heritage is still probably going to be our niche, converting those old heritage buildings and potentially doing more SA or service accommodation on the back end. But if the right plot comes along and working with the right joint venture partners, then, yeah, I think we'd be open to it. De definitely to have another look at it. Right. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times networking. 
and the power of networking. You obviously believe in networking. It's made a big difference to your property Absolutely, yes. I think networking gives you many things. And uh, one of the things I love about uh, the mentoring at Progressive as well, having done this for two or three years now, it keeps you very much in the community, in amongst other people doing similar things, maybe even different things to yourself. And even at a mentor level, we all learn from each other still. And whether it be mentoring, whether it be networking at wider events, just to find out what other people are doing, to hear those ideas, to pick up those connections. And sometimes it's not necessarily the person you're talking to, but somebody that they then connect you to. And it, that, it's an old phrase, but your, your, your net worth really is your, your network. Mm. And the, some of the people we've met in the last couple of years have been fantastic in helping to move us forward. And I, I mentioned down in Bath when I was breakfast networking, to actually find that building that we went on to purchase just through a conversation at a breakfast meeting, um, you can't you can't do better than that to find projects, to find contacts, to find JV finance. It's all there in those networks. You just have to tap into them. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is that it wasn't a property network event. We all go to property network events, I'm sure, and we should, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But sometimes you're going to find the best deals actually not going to the property networking events, but going to business events and breakfast events and, and Def- events like definitely. That. De- yeah. Definitely. And um, I think I would say for property events, obviously, are always going to be the best for when you want to to expand your skill set, to find out what other people are doing, and and to take on that kind of knowledge. But when you're potentially looking for joint venture finance, or whether you're where, when you want to position yourself as the property person in the room, that's probably the point to start thinking, can I go wider? Can I go to different places where maybe I'm not going to bump into another three or four people doing the same thing as me or or just any other sort of property strategy and you'd be surprised when you get to those kind of events when you talk about some of the returns that people can make through property if you're looking for joint venture finance that the other people could be really surprised in the room that um, that they can get that kind of level of return from property but as we know in property network events people many of us are are aware of what returns could be made and it could be a a harder negotiation sometimes to, to secure that Joint venture finance, for example. Mm. Mm. Well, you've mentioned joint venture as well, mm-hmm. a lot. And I'm guessing that's very important to you. You're a big believer in doing JVs. So give, give us some of the tips that maybe you sort of come across, the, the things that you think have helped or hindered doing JVs. Sure. Um, there are many, many different forms of JV. So it depends very much what you want, what you have to, to give yourself. Um, you can make, maybe be looking for a finance JV, maybe experience, um, maybe just that knowledge base. So you can also, or if you're very busy with a day job, maybe you're looking for someone to do some of that time, put the time in on, be, on your behalf. So f- for us, when we started, um, obviously coming out of the corporate world, we had time to put in. Um, we've worked with people on the finance basis. So people have put finance into our joint ventures. We've brought them the experience as we've grown. We've always had more experience to that. Um, so the other thing as well I found, if I was doing it all myself, I'd have probably got very isolated. I'm probably more introvert than extrovert, so I could have seen myself. I'd have probably sat at home in the office, never leaving the office. Mm. So having two full-time business partners, we're having a couple of meetings a month, freshing ideas around, various Skype calls. It, it very much keeps you on your toes. And then working with other people, so on wider to that, on different projects, um, it's just great that you can do more projects quicker and faster 
and you just share the returns, share the rewards. But I think you can grow quicker that way than trying to do it all yourself. Absolutely. And when you first started, how easy did you actually find it to raise the finance? Because I know at Progressive we talk a lot about JV finance and you just need to go out and find out where the people with the money are and tell them what you're doing. And a lot of people often look at me and say it can't be that easy. And I guess we all have different experiences. So how was it for you? I think it, there's definitely been ups and downs. You, you can talk to some people think they're going to be the one that invests in your project. And actually, they don't turn up turn out to be the one that invests. And it can be somebody completely different to who you're first expecting. For example, I remember being at a network event uh, probably about a year and a half ago. And I was talking to one of the people that were helping to run the event. And I was saying to him that I really wanted to go and speak to the presenter about a, a joint venture project. And think that, that that presenter was somebody who would very much be keen to get involved in the project. Maybe some JV funding. And as I was talking to the person who was co-hosting the event and helping run it, they said, well, how how much are you looking for? And we started to get into the numbers. And they said, oh, how about, could I do that? Could I get involved in that? And you just have to remind yourself sometimes that it's not necessarily the person who you think it's going to be who actually invests, but it could be anybody around you. I've had it even next door neighbors before who said, what do you do? And when you talk about property, you just tell everybody what you do in property. Um, it can be a next-door neighbour who says, can I get involved in that? So n- never overlook anybody, whether it be friends, family, neighbours, people you don't think have got got the funds to go into joint ventures. Uh, always talk to them, tell them what you do, because you'd be surprised sometimes that who ends up being the joint venture partner in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I've, I've heard that you actually prefer JV finance to institutional finance or at least do you think there are advantages to having JV finance? I would probably say we prefer a mix. Um, obviously we're in uncertain times at the moment with the economy, with, with Brexit, that's a whole different subject so we won't go there. Um, but in these uncertain times it's good to have a mix of mix of different finance models. Obviously if you go in with institutional finance and we have done quite a lot of institutional finance, um, if the market takes a severe downturn those banks might be very much just chasing you, trying to get the money out at all costs, even if you end up making a loss on the project. So it can be quite daunting, for example, if you had five, ten projects on the go at any one time, all with bank finance, and all those banks potentially chasing you to get the cash out. If you mix it a bit and have joint venture finance, yes, you'll probably end up giving more of the profit away. But then you'd hope if if the economy say, took a turn for the worse, that those joint venture partners wouldn't want to sell at all costs, but maybe they say, okay, let's have a sit down, let's have a conversation, can we ride out the storm, and work together, maybe let the properties out for a few years. And that kind of split, we feel, is probably a sense of approach in, in an uncertain times. Yeah, there's more flexibility with a JV partner, isn't there, than probably a, a corporate bank? Very much so, very yeah. much so. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. I mean, in the downturn, they're potentially going to make you go and sell at stupid prices, yes, which you shouldn't be selling at. Absolutely. And if you think the amount of work and effort that you put into these projects, as you say, maybe a year to get planning through, if then you were 100% with bank finance, the economy took a, a big downturn, for example, and then you had to sell the project and break even or even worse, just feel, you might feel that that possibly be a little bit unfair for the amount of work you've done. So maybe sometimes giving a little bit of the profit away is the more sensible thing to do and, and actually put some joint ventures in there as well. Yeah, and always keep a little bit of cash back. Definitely, Hold on to some. definitely. 
Yeah, just in case. A contingency, I guess. And I guess that's you, the point you mentioned there is, is very good. It, it's one of the things that I would also say to, uh, I say to many of the, the mentors that or mentees that I work with, um, if you have a certain amount to go into a project, don't go and think, right, I have this amount, maybe 50K, 100K, I'm going to go and put this into the project. Think of holding that back as, as you say, contingency, because you'd be surprised how many different things could go wrong in a project. And challenge yourself, can I keep hold of this money that I've got in my bank account? And can I bring other partners in to, to share the burden, to also share the rewards, of course? But actually don't go and think the project is simply the size of your bank account, because uh, that would probably be a false economy. Hmm. And when you're dealing with JV partners, treat them as you'd like to be treated yourself, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it brings me back, um, I guess, to a story that um, when I was uh, sort of coming along to Progressive as an a, a attendee um, a few years back, and we came to a, to a joint venture day, actually uh, hosted by Rob Moore at the time. And myself and so my first full-time business partner were sat there in the room listening to, to Rob talk about joint ventures. And my business partner sort of put his hand up and he said... Um, he said, you mentioned about taking money from family. And he said, I'm very concerned, he said, because I know how hard my father's worked to build up his business, to build up the, the assets he's got. And he said, if I took his money to do a project and it all went completely pear-shaped, he said, I'd be so worried, I'd be so anxious, um, that it'd be a really big concern for me that he, that he got his money back. And it was great when Rob turned around and his reply was, well, actually, if I was your father, I'd want to give you the money even more. Hmm. And... The great lesson there, what really hit me was that it's actually that, that feeling that you do not want to lose that person's money that actually does encourage people to go, okay, well, if that's his attitude to my money, yes, let's give him more money because that's the person you want to look after your money, not somebody who's maybe a little bit too flippant with it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally relate to that. and That's a, a great lesson. Yeah, totally. And what, what sort of person have, makes the perfect JV partner, do you think? Or is that too too wide a question? <laughs> um, what makes your perfect JV partner? I think a perfect JV partner is somebody who wants to be there maybe for the long term, who takes maybe a longer term view on, on things. Because you very early see when you set out on these projects, um, you're going to have a few meetings with a potential JV partner. You'll see how they react to situations. And if you're going to be in a project maybe for a year with somebody, or good year on a commercial conversion, you're going to have some ups, you're going to have some downs. And when you have the downs, you want to know that everybody's going to be level-headed, think about think things through sensibly, not make any rash, knee-jerk reactions, or throw their toys at the pram, so to speak. And you just need to make sure that you're in partnerships where you can work with people. Because if they go well, obviously you're all going to come back and do more projects. So it's very important personality-wise that from the get-go that you're with people that you know you can work with and you're, got, you're, you're like-minded, I suppose. Just make sure the people you're JVing with that you've got similar visions of what you want to achieve, you want a similar outcome and clarity. The clarity is there from the start that everybody knows what they should expect from the project rather than going in, overselling a project and then maybe when it gets into tough, tougher times, um, that you suddenly have to start backpedalling. Mm. Just have that clarity from the start in terms of what you expect the project to be, what some of the dangers could be, and make sure that everybody's aware of those before you, you embark on that project together. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Totally agree. So you came to Progressive about five years ago. 
Indeed. Did you ever imagine that you were going to end up being a VIP mentor? I didn't. I didn't. And um, I, I was just saying recently that I ended up doing two years of VIP. Most people just do the, the, do the one year and go off and do whatever they choose to do. Um, but actually, that first year I did, I was, I was doing it at the same time as the day job. And it was really difficult because I was only kind of half focused on what I was trying to achieve in property. The day job took me quite often to very long hours. And I just wasn't achieving what I wanted to achieve. And it's very frustrating. So I decided to do the second year of VIP and put a lot more focus on it, take it a lot more serious. And I got a lot more, the, the rewards were a lot higher than when I was able to focus further on it. And it was actually just at the end of that VIP when we were doing that first big commercial conversion project. And it was Rob who said to me, crikey, if, if you're getting results like that from commercial conversion, you should be sat the other side of the table helping other people you know, how to do it, show them how to do it. So I guess it was that that first um, brought me in as a mentor in terms of that experience, that first big project. And um, from there on, it's been great helping other people uh, achieve similar things. Yeah, and I should probably have said at the beginning that the VIP is the 12-month mentoring program which Progressive run here. And many great mentors of which you are one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, you've got a wealth of experience, haven't you? And you've, you've done the whole, whole range, haven't you, really? You've done buy-to-lets, you've done HMOs, you've done commercial conversions, you're now doing new builds, you do service accommodation. Yep. You tick a lot of the boxes, don't you? Yep, mentoring. <laughs> Absolutely. And yet the interesting thing, as you said right at the beginning, when you started your property journey, you had no idea where you were going to be going with it. No. It started with one, with one buy-to-let property. And it's just having an open mind in terms of when opportunities come along, do they work for you? Be true to yourself and never chase a strategy that maybe uh, you've heard there's a lot of money in it, but if your heart's not in it, don't do it because it will always come crashing down. Do something that you believe you and you, you believe in and you really enjoy. And if you do that and keep, keep open-minded, you will get opportunities coming your way. Yeah. And the great lesson for me, I think, from that is just doing something because when you started buying your first single let buy to let, you didn't know where you're going to go with that. But the mere fact that you started has now led you to where you are. And I see a lot of people who procrastinate trying to almost work out where they're going to end up before they even started, and it stops them from starting. Definitely, def definitely. And, and that's probably when people say, what, what's the secret to, to success in property? I think it's just sometimes just keep going. Like you say, just keep going. Don't give in. You will get ups and downs. Everybody at whatever level you're at will have challenges. And if you just keep continuing and learn as you, as you move forward, network, increase your network, have, start to gain some clarity of what you want to achieve, I think you can definitely go as, as far as you want to go. And um, th there's no reason why you should have a ceiling to, to what you want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dave, we've probably got to the end of our time, sadly, but it's already. been great already. <laughs> already. It goes very quickly, doesn't it? But it's been great to have you in. Lots of golden nuggets there. I mean, very encouraging. I mean, just before we go, last tip for somebody. What about somebody who's thinking about doing commercial conversions? What sort of things should they be thinking about? What should they be looking for? I would say if you, if you want to do commercial conversions, it's really great to have an initial base in property. Try and do something first, maybe a smaller project, just, just to wet your teeth so you know what you're getting into because... To go straight into commercial conversions is possible, but if you're going to do that, have a really good team around you 
don't embark straight into a commercial conversion yourself without the experience around you or having done some sort of buy-to-let first. Brilliant. Dave, thank you ever so much for coming in. Thank you. And obviously anybody listening to this, uh, if they wanted to get in touch with you, is that possible? I mean, maybe there's investors out there who like the the idea of what you're up to and they want to offer you loads of JV finance. Sure, we are, sure. Are, are, yeah. are we open to approaches? We're, we're always open to approaches. <laughs> so what's um, the best way of finding you? So you can contact us um, from many different forms. You can either contact me through Facebook. Uh, you can email me. You can go to w.thebarfapartments.co.uk. Contact me through there, through the SA uh, platform as well. Um, or I can sort of uh, pass out the email address as well. So um, there's many different ways to... What was your email address then? So if you contact david at buildingoninvestments.co.uk. So david at buildingoninvestments.co.uk. Um, we're more than happy to talk to anybody who would either like some help or potential JV partners. Fantastic. And anybody who's on the VIP, of course, or thinking of doing the VIP, then Dave could be your mentor. Absolutely. Which would be great as well. Be glad to meet them. Excellent. So... Please do get in touch with Dave, particularly if you've got money and you want to invest in a big deal. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. But in the meantime, I've been Peter. And if you want to know more about me, you can come over to my website, thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Or you can even go onto my YouTube channel. If you go into YouTube and put The Property Teacher in the search, then hopefully my videos will pop up and you'll find me there. But in the meantime, until next week, until the next Progressive Property Podcast, here's to successful property investing. Thank you.